Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending October 27th, 2023. This week, Comcast loses 18,000 subscribers and it's a nightmare. I'm Kim Hollis, who says Friday when she means Saturday. No one else gets that. I get that. <laughs> yes, you do. Oopsie daisies. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, raising his prices again. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> when do you plan also, to turn a profit, Tim? Oh, um, my God. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst and amused baseball fan. Baseball continues to be the greatest. Ordinarily, if you have two home games and you only need to win one to advance <laughs> to the World Series, you do that. But not this year. <laughs> <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's ready for some snow. Fine. I'm in my cozy sweater. I'm drinking some hot cocoa. But God damn it, where the f is the snow? <laughs> in our deep dive this week, Comcast reported their quarterly earnings on Wednesday. Raul, what'd they say? The good news was that Peacock lost $565 million last quarter. Wait, I... I, I thought you said that was I thought you said that was good news. Oh yes, Tim. That's the good news. Oh 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 no. The bad news is that Comcast lost broadband subscribers from July to September. Is this the eighteen thousand thing at the start of the podcast? Is that all they lost? Eighteen thousand is a pretty big number when you're counting on those broadband subscribers to shore up your company. Yes. Their stock absolutely wait. <sighs> Oh my goodness, Wall Street. All right, just to be clear, the same quarter last year, Comcast lost, and this is not a joke, $4.6 billion. This time, the corporation netted $4.1 billion. That's a difference of $8.7 billion of growth year over year, and the stock collapsed 8% in an hour because of 18,000 subscribers roll. You're gonna have to give us more context. Subscriber numbers don't matter unless they're going down. And then that's the only thing that matters, David. For a while now, we know that Comcast has been losing TV subscribers, but that ship has sailed. Cord cutting was gutting traditional cable and satellite subscriber numbers. No one cared anymore. The silver lining was that as cord cutters moved to streaming solutions, they'd still need internet to access that streaming. It's internet subscriptions that have been the cash cow for Comcast for years. So it came as quite a shock to everyone when Comcast reported that they had lost 18,000 subscribers last quarter. Expectations were low. Wall Street had forecast that Comcast was only going to gain about 3,000 subscribers in the entire quarter, and they weren't even able to hit that low bar. Just so I'm clear, because those numbers aren't as large a gap as you might think. All this is over 21,000 subscribers. What? 32.3 million is what they have. 18,000, it's not even a freaking rounding error. Wall Street was anticipating a gain of 3,600. I'm just mystified this. We're talking about less than 22,000 subscribers. Let's say that those subscribers are all paying $100 each, which I think is way high. We're still talking about couch cushion change here. I mean, this makes no sense to me. And the stock, like I say, plummeted. I mean, we're talking about billions in valuation lost. Roll is it just as simple as they expect when kids return to school to add more subscribers? And if that doesn't, there is something going on under the hood that is panic-inducing? 
time. I think what they're seeing is patterns. The fact of the matter is that Comcast has been a monopoly in their area for years. There's almost no alternative to Comcast unless you want to go with your local phone company that rarely offers as good an internet product as your cable company does. But what we're now seeing is that mobile companies like T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T are bringing 5G to the home. The good news for consumers, at least, is that this is shaking up the monopolies and likely put downward pressure on prices and improve service. But it's bad news for corporations that have long counted on that monopoly to fill their coffers. Yeah, and we're being a little bit glib right here, just a little bit, because this is stupid. I think we all know it is just ridiculous when this much gets blown out of proportion. But when Wall Street actually does stock projections, it's saying this is what we expect this company to do in this moment. And a year ago, when they were losing $4.6 billion, the stock was around 28 The stock was at 42 when this news dropped, and at the close of business on Friday, it was at 40.11, which means it is up 30% year over year. But it was up too high relative to the expectation of the number of broadband subscribers they were getting. And Roll, I thought you said it perfectly. I, I do. At the end of the day, there is increased competition coming to this marketplace, and it's no longer just Comcast splashing around in its own playground. And that's really what this is about more than anything else, at least to me. And then the flip side, we circle it back to Peacock. What everybody is realizing, the money here is confusing and it remains perplexing because this is a 9% improvement in the amount of Peacock losses. Peacock lost $614 million in the fiscal third quarter last year, as opposed to, you know, $565 million this quarter, which sounds better until you realize Peacock has raised their prices twice since then twice. And they're only cutting their losses by 9%. And everybody in this field is looking at this and going, oh God, there's only one thing to do. Let's raise prices. Even Apple has raised prices on its streaming service this week because everyone is starting to realize if we don't raise the prices enough, the math on this is never going to check out. Yeah, I'm glad you brought Apple into the conversation here because I think there's a big analogy here between what Comcast does with all its money and what Apple does with all its money. Comcast has been very comfortable for years, despite the fact that they carry a considerable amount of debt. They have always banked on those internet subscribers and they've always expected that number to grow. They were comfortable having a Universal Studios that was maybe losing money on movies because, hey, we've got all this money coming in from our internet subscribers. They were comfortable having a streaming service, Peacock, that's been losing money quarter after quarter because, hey, we've got these internet subscribers. They were comfortable losing television subscribers because, hey, we have internet subscribers. Now, suddenly, Comcast has indicated, you know what? We may not have internet subscribers much longer because we have competition. The analogy here is, of course, Apple has a streaming service that unquestionably is a money loser. They don't even show up in the Apple quarterly reports, Apple TV Plus, because it's so insignificant to them. Their streaming service could lose billions every quarter and it would be irrelevant relevant to a company like Apple that makes trillions of dollars, literally trillions. And yet, if suddenly iPhone sales started going down, you could sure as hell bet that Wall Street would panic. This is Comcast cash cow. And suddenly the cash cow is a little thinner than it was yesterday. We've kind of got a combination of two events that we've covered over time. And this circles back to that moment 
last year when Netflix reported its earnings and provided guidance on subscriber numbers and everybody went, wait, the math no longer checks out on this. And they freaked out and every streaming service seemingly just bit it overnight because of this. Now the same thing seems to be happening with broadband where at certain points you've got a mature company in a saturated marketplace and everybody is realizing, well, there's only X amount of money. So even though Comcast in this particular industry has announced that they beat expectations in both revenue and net, everybody is going, no, sorry, that's not good enough. And that's wild to me. Just as we wrap up here our deep dive, I think it's important to mention that this Q3 of 2023 for Comcast also encompassed the entire release period of Universal Studios' Oppenheimer, which was a juggernaut at the box office. And yet, despite its success at the box office, it was a worse Q3 for Universal Studios than in Q3 2022, which I think invites a little bit of conversation as well as maybe a discussion of what Universal and Peacock are doing at the box office this weekend. We should not undersell the fact that Oppenheimer was still a blockbuster and that last year's competition, you know, was no matter how horrible it was, there was a Jurassic World film that made a billion dollars. But the point here is we were supposed to survive 2021 and 2022, the fervor of the pandemic and the delays it caused. And in 2023, we were supposed to be through that. It was supposed to be over. Well, because of other mistakes that have happened in the interim, we only had NBC Universal releasing titles like Strays and The Last Voyage of the Demeter, they were not doing anything to boost their bottom line in this segment except for Oppenheimer. And we should be honest about the fact Oppenheimer was a total fluke. That was not something anybody should have expected. This movie was not supposed to make $300 million. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it, it made at least twice, if not three times what any reasonable projection for it should have been. Right. And they still <laughs> lost money. Holy hell, what are you doing? It is such a frustration to me. But this entire Comcast balance sheet for this quarter, it is just like all of our complaints lined up together on one spreadsheet. It really is. They're doing so much better than they were a year ago at this time, and yet you can still see all the mistakes and be like, you got to fix this, you got to fix that. It is hard to watch. But at least, Tim, um, there is some hope for this weekend, right? Yes, it is that old standby cheap horror movies. God bless them. <laughs> I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, we had Exorcist the Believer, which believe it or not has earned, I see what I, I see what I did there, $56 million. But this weekend, it's all about Five Nights at Freddy's. Right now, we have a Thursday number of $10.3 which is just phenomenal. And this is going to turn into a huge Friday and possibly a huge weekend because these movies are bulletproof, at least for the first weekend, because the target audience for this does not care. Wait, 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 Tim. There's, there's a couple of problems with that. First, the reviews have been horrible on that movie. And second, I could just watch that on streaming. Why would I go to the theater? Because you want to see the jump scares in a movie theater with everyone else freaking out with you. And yes, this is, this is, believe it or not, for the third year in a row, day and date on Peacock, just like they did the last two years with Halloween movies. But yes, you can absolutely watch this one right now on Peacock. But that's a that's an outstanding box office number. And we probably do need to have another conversation tomorrow once we have a Friday number, because this is going to be bigger than uh, anticipated. The one thing Peacock gets right that we should commend them for is day and date works. Nobody wants to admit it. There is this lingering perception. No, you're hurting your box office. You do that. But in the case of Peacock, 
TikTok, which still, even now, only has 28 million subscribers. That is a lot of people who have something to watch on Peacock this weekend who were not going to see in the theater, and it's not stopping anybody. They're going to the theater to see Jump Scare the Movie, as Tim calls it, which I love, in the theater and get that experience with other people if they want. It is basically giving customers the chance. You can dine in the restaurant or you can grab it and go. It is your choice. That is the same concept with movie theaters. And it is really working for horror movies in October from Comcast NBC Universal. And if they would say something nice about Peacock, you know it's absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> 24 hours later. So, Tim, about what we were saying yesterday about the box office for Five Nights at Freddy's? Yeah, so it turns out Friday was oh, 39.4 million, which includes the Thursday number, but that is awesome. And of course, this is absolutely working for the target audience. It had an A minus in score, which, yep, that's absolutely fine for something in the horror genre. And despite a oh, 26% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 89% audience score. So, yeah, they absolutely love it. Reviews do not matter, at least this weekend. I absolutely love this performance because if you're over a certain age, well, most people over a certain age, you are completely baffled by this. And if you're under a certain age, you're like, this makes complete sense. I'm surprised it wasn't more. Yeah, we're actually more in the former camp than the latter. It's been a running joke with Kim and I. You know, during the holiday season, I'm an early shopper. It's kind of a notorious thing. So Kim and I will go shopping for her nieces and nephew. And we've been getting five nights at Freddy's gear for them for, you know, at least five years, if not 10 years. I don't even know when it started, but they always love that stuff. And I've never played the games. Have you actually played the games? I have not. I know that they are basically the work of one guy and it is at least the, the first one. It's kind of just like a kind of like a one note type of game, but it just really has captured like younger audiences and just expanded into multiple sequels, multiple spinoffs. I'm actually surprised it took so long to actually make a movie. That's a good point. And it feels like this is one of those rare examples where Hollywood got the timing right, which really is at least the fourth time this year, second with video games, if we think about it. Super Mario as a movie concept has been rumored. I mean, there's been attempts for, you know, 35 years now, but for whatever reason, this was the perfect time for that particular animated movie. And then we had, you know, the Barbenheimer stuff, which still makes no sense whatsoever. And now we've got this. And Tim, what are we thinking for the weekend here? Probably about 80 million. I mean, it, it will obviously be a little front loaded with Friday and the Thursday number factored in but that's still outstanding for something that costs like 20 million and also is available right now on Peacock, as we've been What's saying. What's Peacock? <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> I mean, I do, but how many people do how many people, actually How many people do? actually know what it is, right? Yeah. That's the other thing. We have the day and date discussion. We're being a little disingenuous because the premise is, and everyone can watch it on Peacock, but then we know only 28 million people subscribe to Peacock, and not all of them even have the tier that will allow you to watch this movie. They might have to upgrade this weekend. So there's a chance, I guess, as I talk this through, we're actually going to see a Five Nights at Freddy's like phenomenon that could boost Peacock's numbers and make it less of a loss this upcoming quarter than the, what is it currently produced? projected 850 million in losses if it's better than that it might be because <laughs> it of this might be because of five nights freddy's yes exactly this is terrific this is this october box office is just going to look absolutely wild even a year from now we're going to go back and be like wait did that really happen between this and taylor swift which is at about 140 million when is this going is this going away very soon by the way yeah as a matter of fact i got an email today saying this was my last chance to watch the eras tour in theaters and i'm like well you don't really understand what i'm about and also let's be 
honest, a streaming deal is coming for that as soon as the strike ends because, oh, by the way, Taylor Swift has stuck her thumb on the scale, God love her, and said she won't even sign a streaming deal until the strike ends. So that's actually creating legitimate pressure to end the strike. And besides, all, all she has to do is in a couple months just put it back out in theaters and call it Taylor's version, and then we'll make another $90 million. <laughs> Taylor Swift stars in Five Nights at Freddy's 2. <laughs> All right. Well, is there good news in the ratings as there was in the box office, Tim? No, but uh, I guess we'll we'll see what we have anyway. Because, yeah, we have the Nielsen Stream ratings for Monday, September 25th to Sunday, October 1st, 2023. And unfortunately, your top original show for the week is Love is Blind. 943 million minutes for 66 episodes because they released yet another season of this, like really right after, I mean, we had another one earlier this year. Uh, they actually had the quote after the altar final for its fourth season in beginning September. And then on September 22nd, four more episodes of the fifth season arrived and then three more on the 29th of September. And of course, more on the 6th, 13th, and a finale on the 15th because I mean, all you can really do right now during the strikes was reality shows. So, of course, this is it. And unfortunately, that's a very big number, which it'll probably decline next week. We tend to see see that a little bit, but then like a bump once that finale hits. But yeah, unfortunately, 943 million minutes for Love is Blind. That release tactic seems like it's putting a lot of faith in people who are willing to watch Love is Blind to figure all that out. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> You would think that all of the backstage shenanigans would put an end to maybe some of these shows. And really, shenanigans isn't the right word. There's some pretty serious allegations of what's been going on behind the scenes on these reality programs. The only good thing that might come from all of it is there's been a lot of talk about unionizing the stars or talent, if you will, on these reality programs. And maybe that will help protect some of them. But it's garbage on screen and it's garbage behind the scenes. And things need to change. Yeah, you would think people would not want to be on this, but there is clearly an endless supply of people willing to you know, be on these, these shows. And God help us all. Uh, second, Sex Education. We saw that return last week, 734 million minutes for 32 total episodes. Third, Virgin River, 709 million minutes, 52 episodes. It will slide down the chart through the month, but I think it'll make an appearance again when those holiday episodes arrive in the end of November. In fourth from Disney Plus, Ahsoka, seven episodes, so one more to go, 572 million minutes. So next week should be the, the big binge bump, as uh, I like to call it, for the finale. It's kind of held tone, I think, through the season as it's added episodes. It's not, you know, Mandalorian. It's like a step below Mandalorian. But that's I think that was to be expected. But I think this is this is absolutely fine. Uh, in fifth, Hulu's only murders in the building. Also one more episode to go. So 29 episodes, 505 million minutes. So that should jump next week, too. And that is my plan for this weekend, I believe, to finally catch up with that. Uh, six prime videos, Wheel of Time. That's adding out. So adding episodes weekly for its second season, 416 million minutes. So that's fine. And then finally, a new show or two. Seven from Netflix, Encounters, 412 million minutes for the four episode docuseries about reported alien encounters. I think that one mean guy, the aliens guy, just kind of ruined all this stuff for, for all of us. I can only think of him now when I think about these sorts of things. <laughs> also new in eighth from Prime Video. So they have two shows on originals this week. Gen V, three episodes, 374 million minutes. This is the spinoff to The Boys. Yeah. What do you think of this performance, given the fact it is The Boys brand, but it's entirely new characters? So this is premiered on the 29th with three episodes and then weekly uh, from here, the finale arriving November 3rd. So next week. Yeah, this is pretty good, especially for just three episodes. I know The Boys has made it before for Prime Video, but I think this is fine and this might be a grower. 
The other thing I would say, the cast of this probably costs $5 between them. So you're really only spending money on, you know, the special effects in mm-hmm. the show. And since it's basically horror movie special effects, it is. I think this is pretty good. I I probably, if I'm being honest, I'd hope for 500. I'd hope for a little better. And because this is three episodes and it goes weekly, I'm not sure if it's going to stay on this list or not. But still, overall, I think this is proof of concept that they're expanding the boys brand which is what they need to do and it has been renewed for a second season and considering how much money i guess amazon spent on wheel of time i guess they didn't really have much money for this as you're saying because the the cast and the effects are probably on the cheaper side (laughs) hey hey they've got a schwarzenegger on that show (laughs) not an arnold but it is a schwarzenegger uh, ninth from Apple TV Plus, also hanging around during its third season, which is, I guess, good good to see. So I can't mock Apple TV Plus as much anymore. 348 million minutes, 24 total episodes. And since we didn't mention during the main discussion, I mean, you raise your prices on Apple TV Plus and don't tell us Ted Lasso season four is coming. Come on. What are you doing? I wouldn't have cared if you said that. <laughs> no, no, Tim. There's no Ted Lasso season four. <laughs> Um, throwing my iPhone in the garbage in response to this. Uh, wrapping up originals, a show we saw return last week, Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal, 321 million minutes, four, six episodes. That was its second season. Movies led by Elemental, 862 million minutes. And I'm very happy that this is showing some decent staying power. This definitely seems to me to violate kind of what we've come to expect from movies where after two weeks, they kind mm-hmm. of fade away and yes. die. This is having, I guess what I would describe as a, a lower descent rate where it's not burning out as fast. Obviously, you know, that could change next week. But it does seem to be reinforcing the thought process we've had where quality of a film like this matters, especially with Disney. I think not so much with Netflix and maybe not even as much with Prime Video. But I think that, you know, if you want to be and not everything can be Moana, we all understand that. But if you want to be like a lesser version of that. The film needs to be really, really just a warm, comfortable hug. And that's exactly what Elemental is. Yeah, I was going to say I I could look stupid next week and this could drop to 200 million minutes out of nowhere. But yeah, usually after the first two weeks, the Disney movies tend to drop off like Little Mermaid is already gone. But this one might hang in there for a while based on on this. So I we need to do need a couple more weeks of data, but I'm I'm excited by this number. Uh, some new stuff from Netflix. Uh, second, Reptile, 740 million minutes. This is a crime thriller with Benicio Del Toro. Also, uh, Tyler Top Names, Justin Timberlake, and Lisa Silverstone. They do push it heavily on your front page when you okay. log into Netflix. Yeah. Not great. Uh, 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, but that's typical of, of Netflix these these days. But that's, that's a pretty solid number. This, this arrived on the 29th, so this is actually just a, a three-day number for Netflix. So we could see it uh, go higher next week. Also new from Netflix, Nowhere, 509 million minutes. Yes, and that's the one about the woman who finds herself uh, trapped in a uh, container oh. and lost, lost at sea. Yeah, yeah, shipping container. Okay, that's that's literally the poster. Is the woman clearly in the middle of the ocean on a shipping container? Also uh, released on the 29th. So again, chance we we see it do better next week with a full seven days. Also new and fourth, this one from Max Meg Two: The Trench, 338 million minutes. This of course was a theatrical release earlier in August. Performed pretty poorly, at least domestically compared to the first one, but it was 
huge worldwide, right? I think we talked about that when it when we were doing box office on it. Yeah, China put its thumb on the scale, so the mm-hmm. film did well enough that you could easily justify a sequel. But this is kind of an excellent demonstration of how impressive what Elemental has done is, because this is not a good result for Max at all. No, not at all. This was also the 29th, so just a just a weekend number. But yeah, compared to what we tend to see from definitely Netflix and also almost always Disney. Yeah, not not that great. We've even seen better from Max in the past too. But again, this one wasn't very good. But it was it was carried by China by China's box office. Uh, you guys must be excited because I did suggest this could happen last week. But in fifth is the Machine, two hundred sixty six million minutes. So yeah, it takes a little bit of a, a jump, but slightly slightly up in minutes, but up like five spots from last week with the full week. Everyone hold that thought for about five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> it it does seem to be building on itself as apparently as more people watch it, more people are talking about it. We do need a good. Uh, word of mouth hit again like not to the level of say like squid game but when you do need something that just like catches fire over time rather than just like say comes roaring out of the gate like say you know wednesday did last year and then and, and then sticks around for a while we need something that just a big grower like this so hey maybe maybe it's this one hold that thought too okay <laughs> uh, in six prime videos, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, 251 million minutes. We saw that arrive last week. Also still here from last week, Spy Kids Armageddon, 238 million minutes. In eighth from Disney Plus, our Moana line is 237 million minutes this week. And then at least our 2023 movies, but you know, more Netflix uh, stuff. Ninth, Forgotten Love, 211 million minutes. Uh, this is a Polish movie. Sure. Okay. And movies wraps up with Love is in the Air, a Australian romantic comedy that also arrived on Netflix on the 28th. Sure. Yeah. The one with Galifant. Yes. Absolutely. Josh. Yes. Joshua Sass. Yes. That's right. As soon as you, as soon as you, you said that, I remembered we talked about it. Yes. Because <laughs> they were, everyone was very excited about Galifant. Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, still led by Suits, uh, now with a much more tolerable 1.4 billion minutes this week as it just continues its slide down as clearly people just, you know, gradually finish their binge watches over the course of the last few months. I noticed that Band of Brothers that dropped off the list and the Pacific was coming in at 10th. Yep. This is Netflix, again, just flexing their muscles saying, what HBO show do you want us to make a hit next? Hmm, Entourage? Let's see. What else you got, Zaslav? Yep. Just start <laughs> calling them Netflixes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, we we saw Band of Brothers and The Pacific arrive on the charts last week, credited to Max Netflix. This week, The Pacific is still there in 10th, 408 million minutes for its 10-episode series. But yeah, um, pretty quiet week. I'm disappointed with all of you by Love is Blind being the top original show, um, but I'm excited for next week as we get finales of Ahsoka and Only Murders in the Building. And I really am happy that Elemental is showing some staying power and hopefully that trend continues. All right. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. And we will close out, as always, with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And last Friday for our movie night, David and I watched The Machine. As we mentioned last week, we really do. We like Burt Kreischer a lot. We've been watching him for a lot of years. And while I would say that Kreischer is a better comedian than he is an actor, the movie is still very funny. You will laugh a lot. It's big, dumb fun. And knowing that it's at least semi-based on something that happened in his real life makes it even a little funnier. So give it a shot. It's not long and it's just a check your brain at the door type movie. Raul, how about you? I will add that I watched The Machine with my kids as well. It was hilarious. None of it made any sense, but it didn't matter. It is definitely an R-rated movie, although it's mostly pertaining to language and some violence. I assure you any nudity in this movie is just the kind no one wants to see. And 
uh, yeah, this is one of those rare movies that my kids were riveted to and they watched every minute of it and they loved it. I'm going to tell you about Bodies on Netflix. This is a mystery told in four different periods. It has four London detectives in four different periods, 1890, 1941, 2023, and 2053, all find the same body in the same alley decades apart. It's really hard to explain much more without spoiling it, but I will say that I was riveted. It's a great detective thriller. Each episode, though, is over an hour long, so binging the whole thing over just a couple of nights was challenging, but I could not quit it, and the payoff was well worth it. And despite it resolving the story, they did leave the door open for more in the future, and given how much buzz I've been seeing for this, I do expect that they might want to come back and tell another story. All right. And Tim, how about you? Uh, So this week I was surprised and a little confused by the announcement that show creator Joel Hodgson has launched a crowdfunding effort for Mystery Science Theater 2000 season 14. Uh, After his last one in 2021, we got the 12 new episodes over the course of 2022. They launched the thing called the Gizmoplex, which is, I think we joke that it's a streaming service, but it is kind of just a repository for all things the show. All the classic episodes are are available. Uh, So now he has launched season 14, which I'm a little confused because it's a little hard with the actor's strike to actually, so he can't officially announce, say, all these people will be back because that they can't promote it. It is also, it is a crowdfunding effort, but it's not on Kickstarter. It is on their own thing. The current URL is showmaker.mst3k.com slash make season 14, I believe will bring you to the exact exact site. Uh, so that also reduces its its visibility. Uh, and they set the goal for six new episodes at 4.8 million with goals for also nine and 12 episodes. I'm a little concerned about this one getting there because of just various things, including, say, the economy, people who did not like season 13, even though I absolutely loved it. And also, like I said, it's not on Kickstarter, so its visibility is more difficult. And also it can't technically can't be promoted right now because of the the strike that hopefully will be resolved soon. It is scheduled to end on Turkey Day. So which is, of course, significant to uh, MST3K fans. So I I assume Joel had had a plan for this, but I'm a little confused that he decided to do it now. It actually crossed a million dollars in the last couple hours. As it started a couple of days ago, but the downside is the last one reached its main goal within 24 hours. So I think he they have much bigger uphill climb this time to get there. But I'm I'm optimistic. It's of course it's you know probably my my favorite show of all time. But I am a little worried about the, it going all the way this time. I'm sure I'll let you guys know in a couple of weeks how it did. All right, David, what's been keeping you busy? I don't know, Kim. What's been keeping me busy? Hmm. I think speaking of a show that could be a grower. What have you watched the entire series of? I haven't watched but two episodes. I've been watching something called Trillium Game. And let me tell you, it is the happiest I have been with television in ages, at least among new programs I haven't seen before. It is an absolute delight. And it has become my obsession to find the manga version of this in English. It doesn't appear to exist. You can find it in French, but it is magical. It is about two young men who try and work with a company named Dragon Bank. However, during the interview process, they encounter each other and it turns out they have a history together. And one of them who is impossible 
possibly charismatic named Haru talks his friend Gaku into starting an absolutely new thing instead. And basically, I don't want to call it a con, but let's just say they're going to start a bunch of new businesses from absolutely nothing. And their goal is to become trillionaires by the end of it. And I realize that it sounds ridiculous, but I'm here to tell you two things. The first is I talk about finance for a living. They have the finance parts of this fairly accurate. I also know a thing or two about computer hacking and other than one scene that is done entirely for entertainment value, they actually do a fairly respectful job with computer programming in this. And it grows from there. And each week they're basically running what I'm calling a new con, even though everything they do is perfectly legal and encouraged in the investment world. And they basically go on a grand adventure where they do not always succeed. And that's why the show works as well as it does. Every week, Haru is up to something and Gaku doesn't know what it is. And so he's just as confused as the viewer is. It is absolute magic. And Kim, the guy who plays Haru, he's a superstar, isn't he? He is an absolute delight. I would really describe him as effervescent. Just absolutely terrific. There's also another character called Kazuki Kadoin. He is also a revelation. He's not a new actor by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he's a Japanese music star. I've only watched two episodes. They are very fun, very heartwarming. I strongly recommend it. And I've basically just said I'm going to watch an episode a day till I get it done. Just watch it. Yeah, I was actually trying to be a little bit vague to keep some spoilers up and whatnot, because I figured that in a week or two, Kim will actually do this herself as well. In terms of the performer she's talking about, just imagine if Tom Waits suddenly showed up on a television series. That's pretty much what this is, a Japanese equivalent of that. And that adds another element. Or maybe describe him as a more shadowy Jimmy Buffett. There's a lot going on here, and it is all absolutely magical. There are seven of these mangas already. This story is fully formed, and I was just furious when I learned the most recent episode of this only aired in Japan in mid-September, which means I'm going to have to wait a year or two for season two of this. I'm counting down the seconds. I am so excited for it. I love it everything about Turing Game. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streaming void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 